Hi. Luke 24, 13 through 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Amos, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to us the things you want us to see, even though, just from the sermon, it's not coming out of my mouth, but how you work dynamically in each person's heart and mind. May you minister to them exactly where they're at. In Jesus' name, amen. What we're going to observe today is this tension that the majority of Jesus followers experienced at this very first Easter. And I know I'm a a couple months early, but uh, here we are. 
And so this tension is one between fear and hope. And even though most of the story is just about two guys, one of them Cleopas, we don't know the other guy's name, and it's on the road to the city called Emmaus, this is a really good representation of how Jesus' disciples all felt at this time. And since the confrontation in the Garden of Gethsemane, they've been fearfully running and hiding. And now there's this news of Jesus' resurrection. And so they go and and the tomb is found empty, the stone is rolled away, the body is gone. And so now there's this change, there's this tension now. Before it used to just be fear, and now maybe a glimmer of hope. And not all of them, some of them are pretty still kind of hopeless. But maybe there's a glimmer of hope. Because there are some like Cleopas who still seem hopeless. And yet there are the women at the tomb or, or Peter who have a little bit more hope. But then you see this tension between fear and hope. Now, what was this hope anyway? Why would Jesus' resurrection be hopeful? Well, we need to think about expectations. Okay, when we were children, we thought that some material possession would fulfill all of our needs, right? That toy, or that treat, or that flavor of ice cream. And you know, Mom, Dad, if I could just have that, I won't ask for anything else ever again. Some adults are still like this. Or when you're in high school. When you're in high school, I need to get into that college. And then you work, and then you get into that college. And then when you're in that college, then you start thinking, well, I need to get that job. And then when you're out of college and you got the job, oh, I need to go back to school, or I need to get a better job. You see, things just don't change all that much when you're wanting ice cream as a little kid to when you're older, right? They don't change all that much. Or when you're in young adulthood and the expectations of marriage, you know, things like that. And so within all these types of expectations, you have this tension between fearfulness and hopefulness. You know, will I get that toy or that treat? And so there's that fear. And mom and dad pick up and start looking at that Lego box or whatever, and there's this glimmer of hope. Maybe they will. And... Will I graduate and have really good job prospects? And so you have this little fear here. And then you have your job interviews with the companies that you really want to work for. And there's this glimmer of hope. Or you have this fear of, am I ever going to get married? And then you go on this date. And there's this little glimmer of hope. And maybe for some of you, some fear there too. But then there's all that. But expectations put you in in this kind of position of both fearfulness and hopefulness. And it gives us a place where there's this opportunity to salvage some kind of meaning or purpose in our respective life stage. And in the case of the resurrection, a purpose and a meaning of life for our everlasting life. And we see this tension between fear and hope play out in our art, in our culture. It's all around us. This is the story of life. When you're listening to music and you're looking at artwork or you're watching movies and theater, what you read, we've all experienced this tension. And I think we kind of expect this tension. Now, what does the Bible have to say about this tension? About how to overcome fear and move towards hopefulness and faithfulness? Well, the Bible points us to Jesus. And our meaning and purpose in life is found in Jesus. And we'll see that in our scripture text this morning. What we'll also see in our text is this fundamental problem of humanity. So what is this fundamental problem of humanity? Let's start by looking 
at verse 21, and then we'll go back to verse 13. But just as a backdrop, let's keep verse 21 in the forefront of our mind. But we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped that he was the one. So keep that in your mind. Let's go back to verse 13 now. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So we're in the same day when verses 1 through 12 occurred, and these two guys were talking about what had happened in the past several days. And so keep in mind, this is historical. This is not a fictional story. This is historical. Luke wasn't reporting on events that happened centuries later. He was reporting kind of real time. People were still alive then. They were eyewitnesses that were still alive then. And so he reported these historical events with the benefit of eyewitnesses who were supporting his biography. We know that from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 3, that he followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for us to have certainty concerning the things that we have been taught. So this isn't mythology. This isn't folklore. This isn't a story just created by man. What we have here is a historical record of what actually happened. And these two guys were talking about what happened. So you imagine the conversation. What do you think happened to his body? Did you hear that temple veil? It was torn. And what was up with that three-hour darkness stuff? I mean, what, that's crazy. And do you think that criminal next to him, he's really in paradise? Do you think the story about him coming back on the third day, is that true? So you imagine what these guys were talking about on the road to Emmaus. And maybe these guys were talking about one of Jesus' earlier teachings, right? That really kind of set the tone for Jesus' ministry. Maybe they talked about what happened in Luke chapter 4 when he was in Nazareth. Picking up in verse 16, Luke chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on Him. And He began to say, Today this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And these guys remembered such sayings from Jesus Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so there's a tension because they are still in fear since they don't know if Jesus indeed fulfilled scripture. And from their experience, scripture has not been fulfilled because he died and they haven't seen him yet. And what they thought he'd do as a Messiah, that didn't happen. So from their estimation at this current time, there was no fulfillment. They're totally still in fear. And so, yes, Jesus taught us some extraordinary lessons. And yes, he performed these awesome miracles, but he's dead. He's dead. And so when they heard of the news that the tomb is empty and the body's gone, maybe? Maybe just a glimmer of hope? Verses 15 and 16. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew himself near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Did you catch that in verse 16? But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. See, Jesus can be right next to you. 
and you can still miss him. Right? Unless he wills to reveal himself, you're going to miss him. And you may know a lot about the Bible. You may have grown up in the church and attended church your entire life and gone to Sunday school and gone through all the different things. And you might have all the technical aspects of your Christianity in place, like being baptized and taking communion and doing all the things you're supposed to do as a Christian, but you can still miss Him. Because this is not about being a technical Christian. This is about a relationship with Jesus. Verses 17 and 18, And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So these guys are astonished. They can't believe that someone would be so oblivious to the things that have happened in Jerusalem in these past few days. And for us, it would be like someone who didn't know that today is the Super Bowl. Right? And, and some of you don't. Right? Some of you don't. I'm informing you so that people aren't shocked when you go meet them on a road or something. But it's the most watched event in the United States like every year. Why do you think advertisers pay so much for a commercial spot there? I think they're saying they pay over $3.5 million dollars for 30 seconds of commercial time? That's crazy. Why? There's over 117 million people who watch the Super Bowl. They estimate that it's going to be over that this year. You may not know, there's over 117 million people who do, and I won't be one of them tonight because I'm here. Verses 19 through 21. And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So we're right back to, but we had hoped. See, things were looking so good with Jesus for the past three years. They were looking awesome. He was an incredible teacher. He was moving people. Miracles were happening. And he showed himself mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And then he died. Hopes shattered. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. Imagine the letdown these guys experienced. They're incredibly let down. And and do you kind of sense this as we're reading this, as they're telling the story to Jesus, who to them is a stranger, and they're just explaining this stuff, and you just see their heart kind of just fall. And they spoke about how great things used to be, you know, how things were so great, and, and now they're in this place of hopelessness. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So, you dummies, after all the prophets, what they've spoken, after all that you know, you still don't get it. And they knew what the prophets had spoken. You know, They knew what the scriptures said, but they didn't know the whole story. They only heard what they wanted to hear. They kind of closed their mind off to the part where Messiah was going to die. And they only kept their mind open to Messiah was going to rule. 
And they kept in mind, you know, Messiah is going to bring about justice and peace. And everything up to Jesus' death pointed to Jesus being the Messiah. But then He died. And they weren't thinking about this part of the Messiah's story. They were just thinking about what He was going to do, but not how He was going to get there. And they didn't think that Messiah's glory would come about through suffering and death. Even though Jesus didn't make that a secret, he, he let them know, right? He let them know on several occasions that he was going to suffer and die. He didn't give them any false hope. He laid it out for them. He laid out everything, how things were going to unfold. Right? Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 33. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. It's no secret. He laid it out for them. And then in verse 34, what did he say? But they understood none of these things. And they thought they were going to bask in the glory of Jesus' reign, which is true, which is going to happen. But they ignored that there is a life on this earth, in the present, to live out. He said in John chapter 15, verses 20-21, through Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted Me, they will also persecute you. If they kept My word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of My name, because they do not know Him who sent Me. So they forgot what Jesus had already told them. What he told them in Luke chapter 9, verses 22 through 25, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Jesus does not have a hidden agenda. He lays it all out. There are no secrets with Jesus. What you read is what you get. This is it. The Bible, the Scriptures, that is it. He lays it all out. Yet, how many of us live as though the Scriptures don't apply to us? And we're like these guys who had this conversation forgetting that Jesus told them all that would unfold. And so do we have conversations like these guys do, being forgetful and not knowing what we've already been told, promised in the Scriptures? Yeah, we do. Right? We do that all the time. And so being led astray because we don't know our Scriptures well enough, and, and when somebody says something that's kind of off, that we can compare it to the Scriptures and say, you know, that's not the case. Verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. They didn't get it, so what did Jesus do? Gave them a Bible study. A systematic one. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And you thought my study of Luke was long, right? So He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. So the question for us, how well do we know our Scriptures? 
How well do we know our Bibles? How much do we really know? Do we know the Bible well enough so that if Jesus walks right beside us and we don't recognize him, that we wouldn't be rebuked with, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? We need to know our Bibles. Right? That's why we've invested the last three years studying the Gospel of Luke. But hopefully you're not just counting on Sundays to do that. Hopefully you're not just counting on your small groups to do that. That you're diving in them yourself. That's why we systematically study the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Because it's my desire as your pastor, like the Apostle Paul, to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Right? Acts 20, verse 27. Right, Teaching from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It might take over 30 years at our pace. But that's my desire. I want to do that. The entire Bible. And if we were to summarize the entire Bible, what is it about? It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God to redeem us, His children, to Himself. For all of us who believe in Jesus, we have been given a gift of grace to be brought back to God because we've been separated from Him by sin. And so if you go all the way back to Genesis, we have original sin committed by Adam and Eve resulting in nakedness. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through prophets and all that. I'm just going to go through this little snippet. And so in the garden, we read about God pursuing them and covering their nakedness, covering their shame. And as we go through the Scriptures, we see that He covers us in righteousness through His Son, Jesus. And we are given this inheritance that we don't deserve. And you read through the Pentateuch, and there you see all the sacrifices and the incense and the bells and blood and curtains and lampstands and and everything pointing towards God's holiness because He can't tolerate sin. God is holy. God is just. And therefore, since He is just, sin must face justice. So what does God do? He provides a way for sinners by providing for them an atoning sacrifice. Because He's just. And that sacrifice is Jesus. And all of it ultimately points to Jesus. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. It's mentioned all there. And sin separates us from God. But the deep love of God through His Son, Jesus, brings us back to God. I think it's 1 Peter 3.18. And sin must face injustice. And Jesus became sin for us. He paid for our sins once and for all. He had to go to Calvary. He had to go to the cross. And resurrection from the dead was always part of the plan. And so when you read the Bible, we need to keep Jesus in mind. Otherwise, it just becomes a textbook. Otherwise, sections of the Bible like Psalm 22, verse 1, it doesn't make sense. When David wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then Jesus quotes that when he's on Calvary. He's quoting Scripture. Jesus is quoting Scripture. And on the Emmaus Road, Jesus taught from the Scriptures, starting from Moses through the prophets. He's using Scriptures. Now, how many of us are like these guys? Slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. 
And when Jesus may be right next to us, but we fail to recognize Him, He's just become textbook. He's just become technical. And we know about Him, but we don't know Him. Verse 28, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. It would seem Jesus taught them on the road for quite some time as they approach Emmaus. It's, nightfall is approaching, and so these guys urged Jesus to stay with them. And no doubt they were moved by Jesus' teachings. They didn't know it was Jesus, but you can just imagine how slowly they were walking and just absorbing all these lessons, right? It, it, this is hours, because what happened was in the morning. I don't know what time they left, but this is probably hours, and they're just hearing these stories, and they're like, that's amazing. I never saw that before. And so what did these guys do? They invited Jesus to stay with them, not knowing that it was Jesus. And now here's this peculiar phrase that I want to point out in verse 28. He acted as if he were going further. Now, if we were casually reading that, I could see how one would think that Jesus was pretending to go further. Like, don't invite me. Invite me. I can see how you kind of get that. But that's not what the Greek is getting across. Okay, that's not what it's... The Greek implies Jesus would have just kept going if they had not urged Him to stay with them. That Jesus would just have continued on if they had not invited Him And that's kind of the meaning of what's going on here and this phrase. And if Jesus kept going, what would have happened? They would have missed Him. Because they didn't recognize Him. It would have just been another sermon. It would have just been another coming to church again, another Sunday. It would have just been another thing that's just been done. You hear the lessons, you do it's, it's all the, the conviction. It's all that kind of stuff. Getting more knowledge, it's getting more conviction, but there's no change. And they could have so easily missed him. Now, keep in mind that this isn't a casual invitation. You look at verse 29 again. They urged him strongly. And now the Greek word there is to employ force. Right? Have you guys ever seen Chinese people fight for the check? I'm just letting you know this because Chinese New Year is approaching. You're going to see this. That's fireworks. Right? They, they fight. So I've outsmarted my elders and things like that. I give them the credit card ahead and just, just charge it whenever you're done. Don't bring the bill. Otherwise, it's... And they just start fighting. Anyway... Employing force. And Luke uses this word again in Acts chapter 16, verse 15, when Lydia was baptized. And this is modern day Greece. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so that English word prevailed is the same Greek word used in Luke chapter 24, 29, for they urged him strongly, meaning she compelled them by employing force. So these guys weren't going to let Jesus go. They really wanted him to stay. And if they didn't do so, he would have just kept going and they wouldn't recognize him. They would have just heard some really cool teaching and maybe they would have got convicted about some stuff, but they wouldn't have encountered Jesus. How often do we fall short like this? Or potentially like this? 
to where you're coming to church and you're hearing things and you're doing your small group stuff and you're putting in the effort, but it's just not quite all the way to where you just employ by force the invitation, Jesus, please stay with me. I don't want just the knowledge and I don't just want the conviction. I want something that would change me. Or are we so casual with our relationship with Jesus and our invitation of Jesus into our life that it doesn't really matter if he just keeps walking because we got what we wanted. We got the knowledge. We got a little bit of conviction and he's just going to keep going. And we miss the best part. And we take for granted that Jesus is with us in our life's journey. But how many of us really want him with us in our presence all the time? Or do we want to just have little dabbles and we just want our little sermons on Sunday and then the rest of the week we just live our life and Jesus keep going and I'll meet you again on Sunday? I mean, how many opportunities have we missed to be with Jesus in the present? Right now? How many? Now, for those of you who have not invited Jesus to be your Savior, He's not. You haven't invited Him. So He's not. Stop getting it in your head that, oh, if I'm just a good person or I believe in Him. I believe in Him. Yeah, but He's going to keep walking if you don't invite Him into your life. And if you sincerely invite Him, He will take your invitation. He'll stay. Now let's read on to see what the invitation opened up for these guys. Verse 30, When He was at table with them, He took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized Him and He vanished from their sight. Their invitation opened their eyes to Jesus. And so for some of you who are not going that whole way and you're saying, I gave that thing a try, I gave that Christianity a try, I gave Jesus a try, did you? Or did you stop short and your eyes never really opened to recognize Him? You need to invite Him. And He's going to show up. Now we're going to get to verse 30 in a little bit, but let's unpack the verse prior. 31, sorry. So they were being friendly, they were being hospitable to this stranger. He's still a stranger. They met this guy on the road, and after hours of walking and telling stories and all this kind of stuff, never mentions that they stopped for lunch, and never mentioned that. So you can imagine that they're probably pretty hungry. Walking seven miles, didn't stop for lunch, it's starting nightfall. And so these guys invited Jesus to stay and eat with them. And then you look at verse 30 here and what they had this stranger do. The stranger, Jesus, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it to them. Now what's so special about that? These guys are the ones who invited, right? So they're host. And what they are doing is they're giving that honor to Jesus to be the host when they were the ones who extended that invitation. And some of you may know about how this goes. Your family or your friends, they know that you're the Christian in the family or in the community and so it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or an Easter brunch or, or some meal that they've invited you to. And so they were like, you pray. You're a Christian. You pray, right? And so this happens in my extended family all the time. They know I'm a pastor. And so no matter what the event, there's always like this uneasy tension where, oh, you pray. You know, you pray. You're, you know, and for me, I'm already eating. Like, so I don't know. So, <laughs> Carol, 
But I feel honored. Like, it's an honor. I, I, I'm glad they recognize that, right? I'm glad they see that. So here, these guys are honoring Jesus by asking Him to bless and break the bread. And probably because Jesus just greatly blessed them with this Bible study on their journey. And so blessing and breaking the bread is a normal, customary, formal way for Jews to begin their meal. This is not a communion service. It's not. This is just custom. So Lakeshore Cafe, do you, are you guys familiar with Lakeshore Cafe? Lakeshore Cafe is awesome, and not because of the food. It's awesome <laughs> because one of the owners is Jewish and the other one's Muslim. They need to send them to the Middle East. I mean, and so the Jewish owner, his name is Nissan. And before my friend and I eat there, because we frequent the place, because we have our meetings there, Nissan always comes over with some bread. The last time he brought garlic bread, but okay. And he gives a blessing in Hebrew, and he breaks the bread for each of one of us before we have our meal. This is not communion. There's no wine here. It's just bread. And so it's just the usual custom before eating a meal. That's what this is. Now to verse 30. Notice that their eyes were opened. It wasn't that they opened their eyes. Their eyes were opened for them. Right? So you look back to verse 16. Their eyes were kept from recognizing them. It wasn't that they shut their eyes and they're like, no, 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 we're not going to see you. You're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. Their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. Right? So, and here their eyes were open, and then they recognized Him. They were with the risen Christ and they finally got it. They finally knew it because they had invited Him. And as soon as they recognized Him, He vanished. What? Why? Why did Jesus do that? Ha ha! You know. (laughs) Because that was the purpose. Jesus fulfilled His purpose. He taught them from Moses through the prophets. He revealed himself to them. They invited him. That's it. What else is there to do? For them to know that he was indeed alive. And so after they gained that insight about a resurrected Jesus and they got the teaching and and he appeared before them and he blessed them and he broke the bread, mission accomplished. He's done. Vanished. How do you think these guys felt after this recognition and this vanishing? Bummed. We were just with him for hours and then we figured out that we recognized that it's him and then he's just gone. What's up with that? So I kind of wonder if they run out the door and like, where did he go? Where did he go? Do you see any footprints? Where did he go? And they're looking for him. And they get this beautiful explanation from Moses all through the Scriptures, uh, through the prophets about Jesus. And right when they find out that it was Jesus with them all along, He's gone. And they weren't able to ask Him any questions knowing that it was Him. And they weren't able to hug Him knowing that it was Him. Because they probably asked Him a ton of questions. And they probably did hug Him. And they probably did kiss Him. And they probably treated Him really well. But they didn't know it was Him. It's kind of like Santa Claus that you didn't know it was your mom or dad. And you're like, oh, but then you find out. And it's, oh, What? Verse 32, they said to each other, did our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? And so, maybe this flustered state, and now they're probably really excited. Can you believe what happened to us? I thought that was awesome! Did you feel that when He spoke? 
Yeah, I felt it. I felt it, but I didn't want to say anything because, you know, I'm a guy, and, and usually we're emotionally unavailable, but yeah, I felt it. And by the way, do you have any Tums? I mean, my heart's burning. And so some of you are like this. Right? Some of you are like this. You, when the Scriptures are opened up to you, your heart, it just burns within you. And I know this because some of you have shared this with me. And this happens to me too. You know, when I'm in the sanctuary, if I'm in town and we have a guest speaker, I'm here. And I get so blessed. And so several weeks ago when Jay Alfred was teaching here and when Bernard was teaching here, I felt that. I felt that. And I love having the Scriptures open to me. I listen to sermons all day long. And ask my wife. I mean, I, oftentimes I just have my earbuds in and I'm doing my stuff almost every day. I love hearing the Word of God. I'm listening to sermons when I'm getting ready for my day, when I'm driving, in between meetings, when I'm just browsing the internet. I'm all the time, all the time. I love it. I really enjoy it. I enjoy the Scriptures being open to me. And you know what? I'm not a critic of those sermons. I'm a critic of my own. I look at my own and I try to do my best and I'm continually looking on how to improve my preaching and my teaching. But when I'm listening to others, I'm listening for the Scriptures. I'm not looking to get entertained. I'm not looking for anecdotes or or stories or puns or jokes. I'm listening for the Word of God because that causes my heart to burn. One of the preachers that I listen to the most is my pastor in Southern California. His name's Raul Reese. And when he opens the Scriptures to me, my heart burns. And I've had people listen to these with me at the same time and, and they get nothing out of it. I'm like, what? Because if I listen to it technically, I know what they mean. Because it's nothing profound. It's nothing like funny or entertaining. Or He's just simply going through the Word. And yes, I gain knowledge. And yes, I gain conviction when I listen to it technically. But if I listen to it because I want the Scriptures open to me, I notice that I change. I notice that things within me change. And so today I'm a pastor, and he has a lot to do with it. A ton. He's the Samuel in my life. I was training with him in Kung Fu, and I was training with him for years, and then suddenly he just comes up to me, and he says, you need to go to pastoral school. I'm not called. I don't want to go to pastoral school. That seems lame. Who wants to be a pastor? That's terrible. Right? You make no money. It's thankless. I mean, I knew that before being a pastor. Now I experience it. But anyway. And so he was the one that said, no, you're, you're going. I'm not teaching you anymore. You're going to do that. And so I, I loved him. I, 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 he, he was one of the people I respected most in my life, so I listened. So any of you who aren't happy with me being your pastor, blame him. But I think that's one of the problems with a lot of people today. A lot. You shop for sermons. I hear it all the time. You shop for sermons. And you're shopping for entertainment. And you're shopping for motivation or to be moved or for conviction. You're shopping for stuff. This different knowledge. And rather than simply opening the Scriptures in expectation that God is at work. Because you click on a specific person because you know they're good at such and such. 
oh, this guy speaks awesome on marriage. This guy speaks awesome on this subject matter, this subject matter, this subject matter. And you have it all labeled out as to what teachers are good at what things. And this guy's good at topical stuff. And this guy's good at addiction stuff. And you're just listening for information or maybe even conviction. But what about simply just the scriptures being opened up? I don't get this nearly as much anymore, but a few years ago when I just started preaching on a regular basis, which was about four years ago, I had some really harsh critics of my preaching and teaching when all I was attempting to do was open the scriptures. That's all I was wanting to do. And different people wanted different things, and you find that you can't please them all. I could only do what I knew, what I was trained to do and and learned to do, and, and that was to stay true to opening the Scriptures. And I kept putting effort into improving my preaching, and I think it's getting better. But that was one thing that I couldn't compromise on, was opening the Scriptures. And I tried to do things differently early on. I needed to be more funny. And I needed to look for different stories and be more entertaining. And, and I was my worst critic And I think a lot of you can relate to this. How many of you are really hard on yourselves? You just beat yourself up. You can't do right to yourself. Give yourself a break. Give yourself a break. I started just preaching regularly about four years ago, and I felt so much pressure. I felt the burden of the church. And and there I was, not a seasoned preacher, before... Four years ago, I probably preached a half dozen times in a year. That's it. So if you add that up, I probably preached less than 50 times before I started just preaching regularly four years ago. And so I get up here and people have this huge expectation when I've preached like less than 50 times. I'm like, come on, give me a break. Who do you expect of this stuff when you haven't even done much of it? And then I was told by a seasoned preacher that, you know what, you don't get good until you've done it about a thousand times. What? (laughs) A thousand. I'm at about 400 right now. I'm going to be good. (laughs) I'm about halfway there. And so... When people come to just observe or critique or judge or compare, the chance for the Scriptures to be open up to you to burn your hearts, pretty slim. So I encourage you to pray for anyone who opens up the Scriptures and shares them, whether it's from a pulpit or in a small group study, anywhere. If they open up the Scriptures, pray for them and pray for the scriptures to speak to you and you're going to get a lot more out of the scriptures than judging that messenger. And it's about the scriptures more than it is about this mouthpiece of the scripture. Verse 33, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. One of the reasons that they strongly urged Jesus to stay was nightfall was approaching and things get dangerous. There's bandits out there. and But get this. They rose that same hour and headed back to Jerusalem. They didn't care. They didn't care how dangerous it was. These guys were so excited about, we saw Jesus. Like he's risen from the dead. And we we have to go now. And so can you imagine how fast these guys were running back to Jerusalem? Just how giddy they were. Hey, that rock! This is when he spoke about the, the rock, you know? And they're, and they're running, they're seeing different things and different landmarks. And they hey, remember when he said this about... And they're like running. Verse 33, And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. 
Now we know that not all 11 disciples were there because we know that Thomas was not there. 11 was a designation for the disciples. It's kind of like saying like the people at church. right? It's not like every single person that's come to regeneration is here. We just, it's church. So like 11. Okay? So it's just a designation. So they found these guys and they shared this awesome news. And as exciting as the day and the evening were for these guys, they've also had a really rough day. Because remember how it started out? They're walking these seven miles to Emmaus, and they, they start out bummed out, and they're really sad when Jesus, as the stranger, is saying, like, hey, what's up? And they're going through this whole way, and they are hungry. And they convince this stranger to stay with them. They find out it was Jesus, and he's gone. He's vanished. And so they are so excited, they take off that very hour to Jerusalem, so who knows if they even ate. Before they can break the news to the eleven, And those gathered with them, one of the others, verse 34, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Did you catch this? How deflating this is to them? We have great news. We just... Yeah, 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 we know. The Lord has risen and he's already appeared to Simon. Old news, man. Come on, get with the time. (sighs) We ran seven miles to tell you and you already saw him? Right? Can you imagine? It's like, what? What? But that's a great news that belongs to everyone, right? The resurrection binds millions of Christians together as brothers and sisters. And what we're speaking about today is going to be spoken about around the world in a couple of months. And the women... I just love these women that were with Jesus. You can just see them in the back. They're just like, first. (laughs) First. Us. We were the first. Right? Verse 35. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. So they did get to tell their story and they got to share this Bible study that Jesus taught them. Are you excited to share your story about your encounter with Jesus? And if you're not, then you really need to ask the question, how is your relationship with Him? Has He just kind of walked by? There's really no invitation where He's just dynamically in the presence of your life all the time. And when was the last time you invited Him to be in your life real time? Not just that conversion time and then you've just come on Sundays. But being in the presence of Jesus, no one knows you any better than Jesus. And this is the crazy point. No one knows you any better, and yet He still loves you. All the junk, all the darkness, all the stuff in your mind that you don't tell anybody about, and He knows, yet He still loves you. That is crazy to me. If my wife knew everything in me, that's not fair. She's a saint. If someone else knew everything in me, they like, I don't want you to be my pastor. I don't want you to be my friend. You're sick. Like Things in your mind are sick. That's gross. How do you think different things? And how do you, how do you, you know? Do you have a relationship with him? Can you recognize him? And how excited are you to share your story about His presence right now in your life.
So just some questions to help you figure out the health of your relationship with Jesus, and hopefully you ponder that as you leave here. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, your scriptures that you've left us. And and I pray, Lord, that our relationship with you is not stagnant, because stagnant water, it just reeks, and it's death. We pray, Lord, for a continual movement and growth with you. And Lord, I pray for anyone who does not know you here this morning. Lord, may they sincerely invite you to be in their life. And for those who have had you at a distance length away, where maybe you've just walked by them because they haven't invited you, may they have that closeness with you and that intimacy with you. In Jesus' name, amen.